Thought Leadership from PwC. Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn. That if you are going down this path, which most of you have to, then you really need to think about the digital aspects of this up front. And the more you do so, we think the better your results will be because you will have um, done the work to understand how these things need to get tagged. You have built that into your processes and the further back into your processes you bake that, then the better the controls around that information will be. Thanks for tuning in as we continue our year-end toolkit series. Although I will say, today's episode is really more of an evergreen topic and one worth focusing on no matter where you are in your closing process. I know many of us are reporting sigh and relief once the numbers are done and the footnotes are written, but there's another critical step which directly impacts how your information is used. That's reporting under XBRL, the Open International Standard for Digital Business Reporting. It's a digital language that allows reporting information to move between organizations rapidly and with accuracy. That standard's managed by a global nonprofit organization, XBRL International. And I'm happy to share with you my conversation with John Turner, the CEO of XBRL International. And I promise you, even if you're not currently focused on our XBRL, you will be after listening to John explain his perspectives on its importance to both financial reporting and sustainability disclosure requirements. In particular, he makes a compelling case that building upfront processes now to incorporate XPRL will be critical to help you navigate multiple sustainability frameworks and requirements with both accuracy and efficiency. Like I said, if you're not a convert, you will be after you listen to this conversation. So John, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you on to talk about the world of digital reporting and digital taxonomy. But before we get into that, I thought it would be helpful to give some background to our listeners in terms of your role, and in particular, how you got into this role. Thanks very much for having me, Heather. It's great to be with you today. And hello to all the listeners. I run this small organization called Xperial International. We're a global not-for-profit with a public interest purpose. We're all about trying to improve reporting. You can think about it as going from paper to data. But yeah, how did I get into it? Well, that's that's um, that's a good question. I've had something of a squiggly career, I guess. Uh, I've had stints in both the public and the private sectors. Uh, and I'd encourage people to make that switch, switch when they get those, those opportunities. Um, I have spent time doing all kinds of things, uh, helping digitise the Australian uh, uh, or parts of the Australian legislation and uh, case law way back when before the internet existed or properly existed. Um, I worked as a regulator, as a a financial regulator, uh, ultimately with an organisation called APRA, which is the prudential regulator in Australia. And that was the first time I came across this weird technology called XBRL. Um, from there, I worked for uh, one of the big four firms uh, and we were very in, 
intensely involved in helping develop the specifications that drive the XBRL standards. We'll talk about them a little bit later. Um, I spent some time running a startup for uh, a, a number of years in this space. Uh, but then after leaving that organisation, uh, just on 10 years ago, got rung up by the then chair of uh, XBRL International. Look, can you come and help us out? Just need, you know, maybe if you could give us 12 months, that'd be great. Well, I'm still here 10 years <laughs> on. Um, and that's largely because it's a really interesting organisation. And I think like a lot of people, I'm quite purpose-driven more than anything else. I'm, I, I think that you can make sort of outsized impact um, by having a, a, a focus on, on something that, that has uh, truly a global scale. So I'm very interested in making incremental changes and incremental improvements to the utility of, of reporting and disclosures. And that process has um, a very remarkable effect in terms of improving data-driven decision-making. So that's, that's kind of the reason for us there that I've, that I've stuck with it, I guess. And the role today is all about driving standards and uh, advocating for the use of standards in reporting. And I mean, when I joined as CEO, I think we were at four, about 40 uh, mandates, and we tend to measure mandates around the world. We're now uh, got nearly 220 mandates around the world, and these uh, cover um, most of the, uh, the the major markets right across the world, and impact something like 25 million companies. So there's about 25 million companies every year. Many of them don't have a clue that they're doing so, but they're utilising XBRL for their reporting, maybe to their tax authority, maybe to their business registrar. Um, or to their securities regulator, their financial regulator, providing structured information that uh, can be utilised by regulators and by markets. And in an era of artificial intelligence, that's becoming increasingly important. So you actually, I think, anticipated my next question with your comment that many don't even realize that they're actually using XPRL necessarily. And I do think people who are just coming across it in the framework of one, you know, reporting maybe their uh, 10K that they're filing with the SEC, they have to do XPRL tagging. They're not really stepping back and thinking, oh, I wonder where this all came from. And so how does XPRL work with, for example, the SEC or one of these other 220 mandates to develop the sort of underlying uh, framework, or maybe you can even explain what is underlying, what people are doing when they're reporting using XPRL. So first of all, think about a paper paradigm. In a paper paradigm, and that includes providing a PDF document to somebody, how do users um, leverage that information? They leverage that information by retyping it. Now, maybe they've got fancy tools to do OCR and other things, but how do you know that this item over here in that PDF is comparable to that one over there? You're guessing. Um, people are pretty good at guessing, but at best they're sort of 70, 80% yeah, good at guessing. Yeah, there's huge opportunity for error. Exactly. So there was that creates an opportunity for digitization and indeed a need for digitization. It's not as though... Uh, you know, reporting should be different to any other part of our lives. Every other part of our lives is digital, right? Um, there are really three parts to that. And this is, think of this as an analogy, but there's an alphabet and grammar, there are words in a dictionary, and then there are reports that use the words in the dictionary. So three, la three layers, if you like. 
at Expel International, we're focused on that alphabet and grammar. These are technically the specifications, the manner in which the computer scientists that need to build software that can create these reports uh, need to conform. Everyone needs, needs to use the same alphabet and grammar, the same specifications. Fine, maybe not all that interesting. Oh, it's pretty interesting, but keep going. <laughs> the, the next layer is more important. The next layer are the dictionaries. So as we know, US GAAP is different to I4S. Um, we'll probably come on to sustainability, but yes. we've got a lot of differences <laughs> in that area right around the world. So that means that you've got a set of words, a set of dictionaries, if you like, uh, that are different for different environments. And we need the standard setters or the regulators to develop their own dictionary. We call them taxonomies, mm -hmm. but think of it as a dictionary. It defines the words and the relationships between words. If the words are uh, need to be captured in multiple languages, then you might have a different, uh, you know, a different label for every language. For example, um, it will also help you understand. Um, you know, this is a monetary item, this is a date, this is a piece of text, and all of that information and graphics for, as, as well, if you want to, can all be captured uh, inside reports. Those reports are the third layer. So if you're the SEC, you decide to use a particular taxonomy. In fact, the SEC works very closely with the US FASB, and FASB has a dedicated team, just as the I4S Foundation has a dedicated team for building the I4S standards. That taxonomy, those taxonomy teams build the dictionaries. So they create the words that can be used in reports. Those reports need to be completed by public issuers in the United States, public issuers in Japan and dozens of other um, securities regulators, but also by business registrars. And for those listeners in the United States, be aware that Business registrars have a very different function outside of the US. In most countries, private companies have to provide a financial statement to their business registrar at least once a year, and more and more of those are in XBRL. Tax authorities also utilise the standard to be able to collect information about the performance of individual companies. They collect financial statements. Um, there's a host of other users and purposes, everything from energy reporting through to things like real estate valuations. Um, but XBRL gets used generically. It is a single alphabet and grammar. And as long as you've got words in a dictionary, then the words use the same alphabet and grammar. And then reports that use the words in the dictionary and the alphabet and grammar, then you've got what we term interoperable reports. It means that you can have one piece of software produce it and another piece of software consume it and you can be confident that that information is going to be uh, usable at both ends, if you like. So in a nutshell, that's what XBRL is. And at XBRL International, we just define that alphabet and grammar. Of course, we're also involved in helping regulators in particular understand how they can leverage these standards to make sure that their information is more usable and more consumable, um, either by themselves, uh, financial information that comes from banks and insurance companies and pension funds, for example, goes to uh, financial regulators, including central banks. And typically that information never goes anywhere else. It's private. Uh, but lots of information goes out to markets. So those business registrars collect private company information and republish it, as does the SEC and uh, peer securities regulators around the world. So that process is kind of what we're focused on. It is a question of ensuring that we have interoperable software and we certify the software to make sure that it is using the right alphabet and grammar. We also um, work 
on best practices so that regulators and uh, and taxonomy developers like the teams um, at FASB and, and uh, the IFRS Foundation, but there's lots of them right around the world because there's lots of different reporting requirements, have got a, a framework with which to utilise uh, and, and, and ensure that their dictionaries meet those, those best practices. Well, you mentioned sustainability and interoperability, which I think are two words we're spending a lot of time talking about, uh, and it, particularly interoperability is, is critically important. But let me ask you a question then. If, I just want to make sure I'm understanding right. So, for example, if I am the FASB developing my US GAAP taxonomy, and now I'm the IFRS Foundation developing, I'll say, my IFRS accounting standards taxonomy, they are working independently using your alphabet and your grammar to create their own dictionaries, to use your terminology. And to the extent they want to make sure where appropriate, things are the same, that is between the two of them to work together the same way they would on an accounting standard? Is that a fair That is a fair uh, statement. In practice, there's very little of that between those particular uh, accounting standard setter and accounting setter taxonomy teams. Um, There's there's not a great reason for there not to be more comparability in that area, and indeed that's a theme that we'll return to. The... Uh, I, I don't remember. Are there fifteen different standards that IFRS and 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 the the FASB have agreed? You know these or the ISB or and FASB more, have agreed. But yes, but there are lots. You know, these there's are lots of overlaps. Pretty much conformed, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and yet the taxonomies are actually different. So that makes comparison and consumption harder than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. In the financial space, that's an overhead that I guess people are pretty used to. Yes, they buy data from data providers and those data providers have done the hard work of those linkages mm-hmm. for, the, for them. That seems like a wasted opportunity and mm-hmm. it's actually why we're very, very focused on the sustainability space at the moment to try to help ensure that similar decisions are not made in the sustainability reporting space because we have uh, an enormous number of, of mandates coming into, mm-hmm. uh, into effect right around the world um, Brazil was the latest yes. just a week ago, all deciding that they're going to move from the idea that reporting is all about financial reporting to a much broader idea mm-hmm. that reporting is about corporate reporting, meaning provide information about your finances, that's your financial statements, but also provide information, often in the same document, uh, about your sustainability. For some countries, that's just climate. For others, it's much broader mm-hmm. In Europe in particular, they're sort of a bit out ahead in this with the CSRD, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, and they're using a set of European standards uh, to report on a a very broad range of sustainability matters, or rather they will be um, starting in 2025. Yeah, so uh, definitely want to get to sustainability, but I think I'm going to dig in a little so we can persuade our listeners how important (laughs) this is, because I think I'm only realizing it through this conversation. So... The other piece, uh, well, so let me just summarize that then. So what you're saying is if I am a reporter who reports under both US GAAP and FRS, not only do I have to know two different gaps, but actually in this case, then I have to know two different taxonomies, just laying, layering on extra friction. And then for the user as well, they have to know both of those taxonomies. Exactly right. There's more work for everybody. And um, clearly that's not Terribly, ideal. terribly ideal, <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's the way the world has worked for a long time. Um, 
I, I think that if you're an issuer, a very useful exercise is to um, grab your own accounts mm-hmm. uh, and then go and look at the way that information uh, is consumed by different data providers uh, and try to work out, you know, do you, do, do you understand your own accounts mm-hmm. based on what the data providers are providing? Um, often that information is excellent. Uh, sometimes it's not so good. Sometimes it's not as timely as we could all uh, like. This is particularly true in uh, in countries where English isn't the, the lingua franca. Well, that's a ridiculous thing to say, but you know what I mean. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, I like the phrase, though. <laughs> uh, so if, if, if you're reporting in a language other than English, then there will usually be a delay getting your, informa- your financial information out. Um, if you're reporting in... Uh, in, in a, if, if you're reporting as a company that's maybe not one of the largest companies in a smaller market, then again, there'll be at least a delay or sometimes just gaps um, in, in that information. So this is a concern, I think, for everybody, and it'll be particularly concerned in the sustainability area as we move forward. We kind of need to appreciate that we've got 500 years of, of mm-hmm. financial disclosure behind us. Sustainability and climate disclosures are brand new, but they're highly interrelated Supply chains are critical and there's just going to be a huge knock-on effect into um, disclosures everywhere around the world. So we think it's really important that those get right. And along the way, yes, let's make sure that the financial information is um, as comparable as possible. For some countries, that's a simple thing to do. Mm -hmm. If you haven't already done so, choose IFRS. Um, (laughs) For other countries, that's not practical. Uh, and therefore comparability at a taxonomy level mm-hmm. is something that, you know, with a bit of luck, that's something that people can be tackling over the next few years as well. So that question of comparability, and there's this mixture of terms, comparability, mm-hmm. interoperability yes. and other things, but comparability of a term that, you know, for the purposes of of users are the same is very, very important and what we really need is for the standard setters to be thinking about that uh, in terms of utility for users of all kinds everywhere. And I definitely, again, I think that's probably our culminating point we're getting to. But let me <laughs> let me highlight two more issues yeah, that I see. Because, again, if I just think back in the day when I was a financial statement auditor, and now I am primarily focused on sustainability and no longer auditing. Uh, however, you know, we, to get the client and the audit team would spend a huge amount of time making sure all the numbers are materially correct and that the opinion is, you know, appropriate and, you know, all the accounting judgments and reasoning. But then what you're saying is it's actually the point from those financial statements to the digital tagging to the consumption um, or the data providers and then the ultimate consumption. There are opportunities there for things to go wrong. And that's often the point in time that the controller and team and CFO sort of say, okay, we're done is when it kind of gets handed off to the tagging. And it seems like maybe paying a little more attention to that um, and, you know, making sure that data is as good as the underlying financial data is a critical point. Well, I would go much further and say that especially in the US, this is a missing piece to the audit. The reality is that today information isn't consumed Mm -hmm. in the whole. 
I know that audit partners love to think about that the world just reads financial statements that are spending time. Well, you time are supposed to take them yeah, as a really whole. Yeah, you're really supposed to, aren't you? But that's not what happens. I just want to reiterate, <laughs> they, they are supposed to be used as a whole. But you can so go the great on now that thing, that. The great thing about <laughs> digital disclosures in inline XBRL, and if you don't know what inline XBRL is, go and find your favourite company on the SEC, Edgar website, and look at one of the orange underlines. The orange orange underlines are the tags that are being applied to that particular um, disclosure. And those orange underlines are decisions that are being made by the company, and they really are made by the company, even though they have a tendency to to outsource that. Yes, function. but the, I mean, ultimately, it's the company's ultimately it's the company's accountability that those little orange tags are the right ones. And the truth is that. I mean, data providers use that information, the consumption, um, you know, in, into their tools. Uh, that has happened to – for different providers, they've done it in different, different paces. I think that there's a very rapid in change mm-hmm. right now um, in that area. But the point is that because there's that little orange underline, then it's possible in, on your Reuters screen or your, your Bloomberg screen, it, it's certainly – Plausible, not always, not always available today in all jurisdictions, but it is possible to link back to that document. That is the whole. So, if you want to understand that this number, which says, you know, this is this is a provision for mm-hmm. whatever it is, well, I, I need to, I need more context here. Um, you should, you can click right through straight back to the disclosure. So then you can look at the at the document as a whole. Now, in an era of Gen AI in particular, mm-hmm. this is really important because in truth, I hesitate to put a time on it because this stuff is going so quickly. Right. But let's say, let's call it five years. All structured information, all information that has been tagged will be consumed by multiple AIs mm-hmm. um, and they'll do a pretty good job at analysing them as well. So if you're a small company and you don't feel as though you've got any analysts today, just wait, you're going to have a dozen of them. Now, what does that mean? It probably means we'll have different kinds of financial products, maybe there's different kinds of indexes and other things. But the point is that the information that anybody cares about is going to be the structured information. So there's a, there's a gap in the US at present in that there isn't an obligation on, for the companies to take that quite as seriously as they do the rest of the fi- financials. There's no obligation in the US for the auditors to do that. We would like to see that changed. Obviously, that's a policy decision for the SEC and the PCAOB, but it's also a decision for the IAASB mm-hmm. um, at, at, the, at the international level. Note that in Europe, there is an obligation to produce, uh, uh, to have, a, to have a, at this point, an assur- a, a piece of assurance, independent assurance over the inline XBRL that goes to the securities regulators in Europe. So this is a you know it's a, it's a learning curve and it's a, and it's a process, but I think that the in particular the very rapid uh, changes to the way that information is consumed, thanks to Gen AI, mm-hmm. is really really going to put a focus on structured data because artificial intelligence needs structured data. Right, and you want yours to be right. <laughs> you want yours to be right. You want comp- you want the company to have signed off on it and the yeah. order to sign off on it, but you want the company to sign- have signed off on it and know that that information is what is being consumed by these models and you don't want them to take a guess because they, they can take a guess. Right. 
but the guesses aren't all that good. Right. Yeah. Hallucinations, which you don't want with your data. Maybe not in the case of this type of data, but nonetheless, it's Absolutely. Not you, you don't want it full yeah, stop. Yeah. And then you mentioned the US and the EU, but given that it's a global audience, then it sounds like for any listener here, it's important to understand in your own country how XBRL is being used, what the requirements are, and then again, in your own company, what you are doing to assure the integrity of that XBRL information before it is consumed by whoever uh, wants to consume it. So one more level setting question that has come up several times as we've been talking about sustainability information. And I think Digital taxonomies can be hard for people to understand, but in the context of you use provision, or I often think about revenue, it's relatively straightforward. So I have X amount of revenue, and that X is going to have a tag that says it's revenue, it's US GAAP, it's IFRS, and kind of moves on. But then tagging of text and footnotes and sustainability information seems much more complicated and so how do you think about tagging of text? Or maybe it's not more complicated. It just depends how you look at it because it's less, to use your word, structured. So that's a very interesting point. Clearly, look at any accounting standard or any sustainability standard, and it will ask you for narrative disclosure about certain things. Really a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. Um, so wherever there is one of those requirements, you will find that there is an accompanying tag. So selecting... You know, your your notes to the accounts that re, 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 in relation to uh, accounting policies or whatever um, is a relatively straightforward thing to do. A lot of people ask why. Why do I have to do that? Surely you can just go and read right. the whole thing, yes. right? Why, why would I do that? Okay, well, the answer goes back to artificial intelligence uh-huh. at one level. I mean, at another level, it's just you know what, I want to be able to line up 10 companies and compare what their pension note says about X. There's a requirement and a tag that they cover that, so I want to see it. Mm-hmm. So that's something And that, I don't want to dig into And I don't want to dig into reports. it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are great examples from, you know, Goldman and others mm-hmm. where they used to spend infinite quantities of intern time trawling through PDFs yeah. to try and capture Well, they can replace that with... XBRL tags, and, and they do. That process works, and it means that you can compare a bunch of companies. AI works much better when it has uh, a focal point. So if you tell it, look, I'm interested in, in pension disclosures, and I want to know, you know, what, the, what, what the, this particular set of insurance companies have been saying about their pension arrangements, um, then by just providing that text and starting that analysis in the context of that, you will get a vastly better result. And that's not going to change anytime soon. So the process of, of, of looking at the text tags is a, a very important part for analysis already about to be much more important in an AI world. Mm-hmm. The AI world uh, has a... Has, a, has another upside, uh, though, which is that some of the drudgery, some of the work involved in deciding which tag goes where can be done much better by these tools. And there are already XBRL vendors that have introduced generative AI capabilities into their, into their systems with the idea of improving the results, so higher quality tagging and 
lower effort. Of course, it is the responsibility of the company to make sure that, you know, Mm -hmm. those decisions are right. Right. But as long as that happens and as long as there's an appropriate review process, um, and, and indeed, as, a, as, a, as I'll keep on saying, uh, an assurance or audit effort in due course, then that, that process should be pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, so we think that there's a lot of reasons for people to focus on text, not least the sustainability stuff, which we'll come to. Yes, well, I think we're finally coming there because, again, if you – now let's talk about maybe you mentioned CSRD. So there are 12 ESRSs, which are the standards, covering a myriad of topics and much broader than what we're seeing coming from the SEC proposal. And if you think about a lot of the disclosures – simple one with GHG emission scope one, two, three. Okay. Again, you can see the tag and that's going to be relatively similar among companies. But now if I start to get into say some of the social metrics or some of the other metrics, thinking about tagging and how different companies are doing things seems more complicated. I know there are a number of tables and otherwise in ESRS, which hopefully will help with some of that. But how do you think about that problem? And and maybe how are they thinking about that problem? Right. Great question. So I wish the first part was as simple as that. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, But the reality is that we don't have a single standard. We saw two years ago, and it was only two years ago, the uh, creation of the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, uh, and pretty much, I mean, like a month before that, the announcement that Europe would go down this CSRD route. And that uh, means that actually we've got sister standards yeah. rather than a, a hierarchy of standards. Right. Equally, the SEC made their announcements and their decisions, and they aren't using an external rule they're creating or an external standard. Right, they're using they're their own rulemaking powers. So that's another sister, sister standard. So the good news is that we no longer have the alphabet soup. We used to have right. dozens of these mm-hmm. things, right? I mean, by some accounts, more than 200 sustainability rules and standards in use in different parts of the world. But So we're going down from the alphabet soup and, and the creation of the ISSB was absolutely critical to that. But we have what I call a bouillon, you know, a concentrated soup rather than an alphabet <laughs> soup, right? So we have at least the SEC, the ISSB and ESRS. And ESRS is pretty much first to the past. They're yeah. coming in quickly. And our concern is really even for the simple stuff because if you have – three different standards by three different standards makers, and they all have their own taxonomy teams, Mm -hmm. and you end up with three taxonomies, well, computers are dumb. And just because it says GHG scope one and you can read that and I can read that doesn't mean a computer thinks that that GHG scope one that's tagged SEC Mm -hmm. is the same as ESRS colon GHG scope mm-hmm. one. Well, and there may actually be differences depending. So and maybe then there may good. be differences as well. Yeah. So, so there are. It's, it becomes exponentially complicated when it you start becomes thinking about it. Very complicated. Yeah. So um, that's being one of our key concerns in the sustainability space. We see, particularly with the creation of the ISSB, um, an enormous uptick in interest mm-hmm. in uh, shifting towards digital reporting. Uh, so we're seeing that in some major major countries that are being laggards. Um, so Australia, for example, we expect Australia will move to mandatory uh, sustainability disclosures to, to as, as well as financial reporting and that they will maybe a year or two afterwards bring in mandatory digital disclosures. 
and at one level, countries like that are, are, are that's that's fine. They'll be able to manage that. But there are lots and lots of other countries that are very important on their in and of their own rights, but are also very important in terms of supply chains in the developing world, mm-hmm. where those disclosures are also going to be mandatory. And you will have seen that. IOSCO, the International Organization of Securities Regulators, has, you know, they were very quick to endorse the ISSB standards and say to all of their members, hey, you need to do this. You need to add this to corporate disclosures everywhere. So there are, there are securities regulators right, right the world over that are focused on this. From a digital perspective, we're concerned that those things line up as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So we've actually been working with the major sustainability standard setters for the last couple of years uh, on initially the basics, stuff called taxonomy architecture. So essentially we want your taxonomies all to be built of wood or all to be built of brick or even all to be built of straw, but just use no the same straw. building material. <laughs> and and maybe let's, let's, let's not use straw, but yeah, uh, let's just use the same stuff. Yeah. So the taxonomy architecture is important and making the same decisions. And, there, you know, there are things about sustainability disclosures that are different. Mm-hmm. Um, lots. If you look at any sustainability standard, you'll find lots of things that say things like, um, you know, indicate whether or not you've, inc- you've improved compared to last year on whatever this, metric. this, this yeah. metric or this, this plan, plan that you might have. And if you look at the responses in voluntary disclosures that we have today, you'll often find nine paragraphs of, you know, HREs talking about improvements to gender diversity. Okay, did you improve or not? Yes, exactly. This was the genesis of my earlier question of what you do with that. So one of the things that the standard setters have been doing, and they've been talking amongst themselves in in the group that we've been working with them on, is adding um, what the IFRS guys call categoricals, but booleans and 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 extensible enumerations. Extensible enumerations are just you know a pick list, so that you can say yes, we've improved as well as your nine paragraphs of text. So that means that you can create a screening question, show me those companies who have improved on gender diversity or maybe more interestingly, show me the ones that haven't. And so those kinds of decisions in terms of the way that the taxonomies are designed are very important and we've been working with them on those things for the last couple of years, as I said. What we're really concerned about, however, is going back to your comparability questions. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we make sure that you can compare scope one or scope two yeah. emissions or, you know, whatever it is, water consumption across nations and, mm-hmm. and, and across standards. And that is not really for us to do. Uh, the taxonomies just model the standards and the taxonomies are indeed built by the standard setters themselves. But what we do try to do and are continuing to work on is to encourage the standard setters to be thinking about the users mm-hmm. and to be thinking about the importance of what they tend to term interoperability. Right. I'll call comparability because mm-hmm. for us interoperability is technical interoperability at a software level. Yeah, you use but, the word. But comparability, a.k.a. interoperability, the terms don't matter that much, um, is really important. So we need the standards that is themselves, and they're already working on this, to ensure not just that they – agree, okay, what's the same and what isn't the same? Sometimes it's just as important to know, okay, these things really are not, can't be compared. Or if you look at narratives, we've got different levels of granularity and narratives. So you might have five or six different um, narrative requirements under the ESRSs and only one of those under ISSB. 
maybe those things over time will morph and we'll end up with them, you know, more aligned. But for the moment, well, you need to know that that encompasses these four or five things. So that kind of process and that kind of thinking is something that we don't just need the techies, the, the very clever and professional people that are working on the development of the taxonomies. We also need the standard setters to be thinking about, and I'm very pleased with the approach that they're taking and the fact that they're really taking this very seriously and understanding that if they fail to act in that area pretty much over the next 18 months, then the utility of all these disclosures is going to be really quite poor. So, um, And in an era where the consumption of that is more and more digital, you know, that's just not a risk that people can take. So if I go back to your point that you've been working with them and trying to use the same material, you know, um, wood or, or brick, no straw, uh, are, is it too soon to tell or are, is that hurdle? Well, it's, crossed? it's, 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 it, we're maybe by the time people are listening to this, it won't be too late, but, um, it is slightly too, too early rather because, uh, we have, at the moment, the ISSB taxonomy has been published. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, been out for consultation. We don't yet have the ESRS taxonomy, and we don't actually expect it until the very end of the year or the very beginning uh, of next year. Okay. And similarly, we don't have the SEC climate yeah. rule or, you know, right now or in, Australia in, in or the end of October. Yeah. Well, Australia and Brazil and others I'm less concerned about because, I, because we know that they will be ISSB-based. Um, so that common starting point will yeah. be helpful. So, then. so if okay. you, the ISSB board talk a lot about you know a building block approach, and and that's very true. So if you are Australia, and you use the ISSB standards as your starting point, then and use the ISSB taxonomy as your starting point, then sure, go and collect more information um, about rainforests and mangroves and um, other things. That's fine that might not be in the core standards, but use the core standards to start with. That process is um, a pretty well understood one and and XBRL lends itself to that building block approach. It's what we call an import. So you import the sustainability standards from the ISSB and then you add your own. Um, so that, that part is less of a concern. I'm sure there'll be some nuances there. Yeah, let me ask a question before you go on. Because the reason I asked about Australia specifically is that I'm sure you saw that their proposal would pull out the SASB standards as in terms of consideration. And so how much of a difference that is, I think depending who you ask, you, you may come to a different answer. But that's almost like you you pulled a brick out of the wall instead of adding one on top. And so do you still have that same sort of, um, you said, in, is it right, import ability or uh, not? Yes, yes, you do, because you can import the bricks and oh, then, that, and then, and then and preclude, out the take out one yes, of the bricks. That, that's, that's all permitted and, 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 and um, run of the mill. Um, you know, again, in terms of comparability, the more these things are the same, then the better. The better. Uh, for, but for, at for least everybody. to your point, those those regimes are all starting with ISSB versus if you're starting with ESRS or otherwise. So yeah. I'll, I'm yeah. sorry. And, and there are other examples. I mean, we held our annual conference a couple of weeks ago and we held it in Switzerland. And Switzerland is moving to a mandatory climate disclosure, but it certainly appears that they're leaning towards encouraging Swiss corporates to use the ESRS framework rather than ISSB. So that, uh, you know, that, that means you've also got a building block approach in that context. So, John, let me kind of take us back, at least partially where we were, and talk then about 
um, we were talking about the materials being used, and we know we're waiting for the ESRS uh, proposed digital taxonomy, but what do we expect to see, or is it too soon to tell in terms of how theirs would line up against the one we've seen from the ISSB? So, I, I mean, at one level, the answer to that is really simple. You just have to look at the standards, and the standards are pretty much baked, and uh, indeed they are baked now. Mm-hmm. So we know what they look like, and we know that they're a bit different. And in particular, they're different in terms of granularity of, of narrative, uh, and they're also a little bit different in some nuanced areas and you kind of mentioned those earlier you know there are there are subtle differences in some of the some of the basic ghd stuff we'll see whether that's important in in practice um as as reports start to be prepared so so therefore the taxonomies will be different but it's going to be very important to provide another layer what we call the digital concordance to permit the digital connection from one taxonomy mm. to the other so that you can know that, well, if I'm interested in, you know, understanding this, this aspect of, um, you know, one of the, one of the narrative t- disclosures which might have one question or one, one thing to disclose in, under ISIS, SSB and 6 or 7 under ESRS, well, you know what they are. And more to the point, a computer will know what they are. So those concordances, those connections between different taxonomies, different dictionaries, those are the things that we need the standard setters to work to Oh, develop. that was going to be my question. That's, so it's the standard setters themselves that need to do that. That's our assertion. Yes. And we believe that that's a much better approach than asking the market to go and do it because no. we'll end up with a whole bunch of differences. Yeah, and depending on the bespoke service provider and otherwise, that's exactly like right. you could get into Exactly right. So we, yeah. if, if we don't have that level of discipline, and I think we will have it, from the standard setters, then we're going to lose the utility of the disclosures because they, because if you've got lots of competing private sector interests developing their own ideas about whether this is the same as that, we'll just end up with different, you know, different answers, and and that's undesirable. So you, when we were talking about the disclosures around gender diversity and if you've gotten better or worse, and that often involuntary disclosures, at least you're seeing just a lot of discussion and and not necessarily a clear statement. So to the extent maybe companies don't want to make those types of clear statements, that's another challenge here, right? That they, even if that tag is there, maybe if I'm the company that's gender diversity hasn't improved, I don't want to say my gender diversity hasn't improved. That's obviously not a taxonomy issue, but it highlights the issue. And it's a tax. And if the taxonomy comes from the standard setter, and that's what the standard setters are asking for, then then you have that requirement. You have now. that requirement, assuming your regulator is going to yes. enforce that. And you know there are questions about how seriously your regulator will take this stuff, and I'm sure that regulators will ease their way into it over over time. But um, that uh, that there is certainly are enforcement questions that, that that are important in this context. But yeah, no, that's exactly the kind of decisions that companies are going to need to make. So if I'm a company listening to this, I'm thinking I've already sort of had my mind pulled in a bunch of different directions because I have the ISSB standards or the IFRS sustainability disclosure standards. I have the ESRSs. I have whatever the SEC is going to do in the US. We have California that just adopted new rules. Now we're seeing individual countries starting to adopt the ISSB standards. And it's a huge amount 
to think about if you just think of it on one level. But what you are saying is, well, you can't just think about this as like a level piece of paper. This is actually much more three-dimensional than that because then you have to layer in the taxonomy. So potentially differences get exacerbated or potentially if you have this digital concordance, maybe it brings some of these differences together. That would be the hope. Let's check back in 18 months and see what happens. But I, I guess, I guess uh, what we are very hopeful about is that people are increasingly understanding the importance of, of digital. Uh, and that's certainly true for all of these um, standard setters. They appreciate that with uh, people are not reading PDFs. They are consuming yes. digital, digital yeah. data, even if that means that they're linking back um, to to the, the entire document, and, and you know, lots of people do that, and 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 they read that. Uh, that process means that uh, we we're, really are in a pretty critical period, but it also means for a company that if you are going down this path, which <laughs> most of you have to, then you really need to think about the digital aspects of this up front, and the more you do so we think the better your results will be because you will have um, done the work to understand how these things need to get tagged. Mm -hmm. You have built that into your processes and the further back into your processes you bake that, then the better the controls around that information will be. The more that you do that, and there's a big if here, which is assuming those concordances exist, so so let's so let's assume that you're a US corporate and the first time you encounter, encounter this stuff is for one of your subsidiaries in Europe so you have to do an ESRS disclosure. Uh and assuming that those concordances exist then you'll have a massive head start for the day that it turns out that you have to do an ISSB disclosure in uh another country Australia like maybe. Australia perhaps yeah, or Brazil or Brazil yeah uh who knows maybe the UK yeah um uh, then you'll have had a head start on that. And similarly, when the climate disclosure arrangements in the US shake out, you would also have a, a head start on those things. So this process should mean that the information is more usable and comparable for users, but it should also be more connected and more usable for preparers. So there's likely in most jurisdictions to be, uh, you know, a soft landing, hey, produce your disclosure and you can do it on paper, that mm -hmm. is uh, HTML first time around, and then the following year you need to do digital. I mean, we would say this because we're the digital reporting people, but we think that there's plenty of evidence to show that if you start with a digital mindset in this context, you're going to have a better result. Well, you've made me a convert, I have to say. <laughs> so, And I definitely think my analogy to the, the different standards being like a table, it's more like they're like a Rubik's Cube, and then this is an even bigger Rubik's Cube around it. But Absolutely. you have to be moving all those pieces together. You're not going to be able to really solve it. And I think, unfortunately, there's one other driver in this, which is that this is all new. Mm -hmm. And I think the one thing that everyone involved in this certainly issuers certainly users, and of course the standard setters all need to just face up to, is it is new and it's going to change. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the speed of change in this field is likely to be much steeper um, than, you know, in, in financial reporting. All right. Well, you've definitely given us a lot to think about. I do have just a few last questions, though. So if I'm a corporate, you, 
you anticipated my question uh, in terms of the fact, what should I do? And you should build it into your processes. But what also about the fact, well, if I'm listening and I want to encourage all these, um, you know, standard setters to be working more together and otherwise, we always say comment letters is that. Comment I, letters work. You know, it took me a long time to learn this because uh, I'm a bit slow on the uptake, but actually uh, regulators and standard setters right the world over in the security space, um, they take comment letters extremely seriously and they really do read them yeah. um, and they really do take your views in, into account. Uh, they're not necessarily going to listen to the to the comment letter that says, this is all rubbish right. and we never want to do it because <laughs> they've gone down a policy path, right? But they will certainly listen to things like, hey, I will need this to be more comparable with X. I need to not have these huge uh, uh, burdens that are created as a result of having to do this for multiple multiple regulators mm-hmm. and them all wanting slightly different stuff. So those kinds of comment letters will be listened to. And, yeah, I, I, I would uh, echo your, your point there, Heather. It's very, very important that companies think about um, – about comment letters. Well, also, I think the other thing I, I think I've learned from this podcast is that when it comes to digital taxonomy, often what I hear, and you know, you referenced the ISSB had put out its request for comment. And what we hear is, well, I don't know anything about taxonomy, so I'm not going to weigh in. But the fact is, it sounds like you don't necessarily need to know the technical nuts and bolts and the um, alphabet and the grammar, etc. But instead, you can weigh in with these types of points of view on consistency and otherwise. And if you look, and I'd encourage you to do so, at the um, at the comment letters that the IFRS Foundation received in relation to their ISSB taxonomy just a couple of months ago. And by far and away, the, 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 the big thing that came out of that was we need comparability. And that came from users, it came from issuers, it came from national standard setters, um, and it was a pretty loud comment. And there weren't, yeah, there was no, no nuts and bolts, no alphabet and grammar from the majority of, of commenters. And, and yet uh, I know that that taxonomy team found all of those things really helpful. They're still working through them, and I know that they will have an impact. All right, and then maybe the... A related point would be, I mentioned earlier, the California rules, and that's something we are spending a lot of time talking about because I think there's 5,000, they estimate 5,000 companies that'll be subject to the GHG reporting, including U.S. and then um, non-U.S. headquarter companies. And so to the extent they, the California Air Resources Board, is also putting in place requirements and disclosures, et cetera, it sounds like they also need to be thinking about this and we should be encouraging them to do so, to have the same type of... Absolutely, um, and consistency in that consistency. area is, is is super important. Of course, um, tricky if you're those... Uh, if, if you're the, the carb, yeah. uh, because you don't know exactly what's going to happen uh, at a federal level. Exactly. Um, so are you referencing that? Are you referencing ISSB? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, not not a simple process, but um, they've got a little bit of time to set those those those, those rules. Minutes. Not not yeah. much, but <laughs> yeah. but you know maybe in the first uh, quarter or so of next year we might have a, a, a better More understanding. Um, yeah. But yeah, comparability in that area, great great point, very important. And, and indeed, um, you know, one way or the other, they also need to ensure that that information is digital. 
All right. Well, you, like I said, have made me a convert that companies need to build this into their process up front and early on, because that is actually going to be, it sounds like their best defense against dealing with all of these different standards. However, I do want to ask you a bigger question. And that would be just given all of this conversation and just this impact that XBRL is having, if you were able to step back and say, okay, five years from now, here's my ideal vision, what would you say? <laughs> so it's it's time for ambition. In some markets, XBRL reporting has been utterly critical. And in other markets, and I perhaps include the US, there have been particular issues of going, oh, well, you know, do I really need to worry about that so much? Actually, yeah, you do. And again, that's largely because of AI. Uh, but it's also because it's it's impossible to read all of these things. Mm -hmm. And it's impossible to rely on just the data providers for high quality comparable information. So you're it. Tag, you're it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Issuers need to take this stuff seriously. Um, In terms of big picture questions over that kind of time period, I guess I'll start with that comparability question. I think that it is time to resolve those questions and have mechanisms uh, to facilitate uh, those connections and the creation of those 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 um, concordances. Maybe we'll come up with a better name. No, I like that um, word, although it is, <laughs> it is complicated, probably particularly for non-English speakers. So. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, it's, it's something the statisticians use, but maybe we shouldn't use it. Yeah. In any event, um, uh, that's really important to be able to connect up islands of reporting right around the world. Let's start with sustainability, but then let's move on. I think that's very important. I think the one of the other things that is really important is that it's time to resolve discoverability. If you're a public issuer in the United States, in the UK, in Japan, then fine. Accessing your information is pretty easy. If you're anywhere else in the world, it's not as easy as it should be. Mm-hmm. There are efforts in Europe, for example, to try to resolve that. But we need reporting to be a level playing field. And we need to be the case that companies, wherever they are, have um, enough visibility about their reports to permit um, capital markets, lenders, customer suppliers to make judgments about their performance, their financial performance, their sustainability performance. And just having access um, to to understanding where that information is and the fact that a company over there um, has made a report is an increasingly important thing in you know, a, a, a global world. So discoverability is, is, a, is, a, is a big thing on my, my list. Um, we also need to resolve some of the remaining complexities in, in the alphabet and grammar. So we've got some work to do, um, especially around simplifying the way that those dictionaries come together and get reused. And indeed, um, one of the very important parts of XBRL, which is the formula framework, the way that you can create a rule to say, well, if this is a negative number, then, you know, there's maybe something's gone wrong here. (laughs) Those kinds of things. We just need to make that simpler. And we, we, we know that. So over that kind of time period, I think we, we, we need to resolve that. But I think the other thing we've really got to work together with lots of groups, including firms like yours, is, um, just to help improve the body of knowledge that's out there so that professionals coming into this field where the digital aspects of their job are more and more important, it's not a huge learning curve and we can provide enough information out there to ensure that people um, have the tools with which 
not just to understand what they're doing in terms of creating those reports, but how to consume them um, and get the most out of um, all of these digital disclosures. All of those things will help in a period of really rapid change, in a period of uh, you know increasing challenge to everybody's roles, but understanding digital is going to be a very important part of, of many people's futures. All right. Well, John, as I said, um, you really actually inspired me in this conversation. I do feel a little bit like this is like climbing Mount Everest in terms of the number of things you have to coordinate and pieces in place and, and bringing it all together. But definitely XPRL is having a huge impact. And I think you've given some concrete things companies can do, and hopefully we'll see standard setters and regulators doing their part as well. So thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. And that's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.